Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's like so natural, y'all, to say good morning when I'm at church, but it's good after, it's good evening, I guess will be the most appropriate. But I'm really glad to be here with y'all this morning. Sorry, I did it again. This evening, um, and uh, I'm really grateful that Noah has given me the opportunity to come out and preach uh, today. And so uh, before I begin, uh, I'm just going to pray and then go into the message. Uh, as Noah acknowledged, our text this morning will be Daniel chapter 11. So that'll be what we'll be walking through together this morning. So let us pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you for your grace, God. I thank you, I thank you for every, each and every person that is here this morning, God. I pray that you would hide me at the foot of your cross and speak through me this afternoon, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, God. And I pray that you would be glorified and lifted up through this message today, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I went to undergrad at the University of Indiana, I studied political science. Now, after finishing this degree, I eventually decided to pursue a Master's of Divinity degree at Trinity because I felt led to pastoral ministry. That's where I met your pastor, Noah. Uh, and when I began seminary, people would ask me what I studied in undergrad, and I would let them know I was a political science major. And many of these people were surprised that I was studying the Bible and theology to be a pastor. Many of them felt that my transition to the Masters of Divinity was so different from studying government as a poli-sci major. But I never really understood these people because the Bible has a lot to say about different nations, kingdoms, and political powers. And in fact, we see that Jesus came to save people from their sins and to begin the establishment of an eternal kingdom on earth. Thus, our Christian faith should shape the way that we view government and politics. And we need this truth today because we live in crazy times right now. There's an unjust war being waged in Ukraine by Russia. There are wars taking place in the Middle East with the Taliban in Afghanistan. There are wars uh, taking place in Ethiopia. Nations are moving further apart from one another. And even in our nation, there are political factions warring against one another. As we become more and more polarized in the United States through the news, through social media, and beyond our political divides, we still have deep racial divides as well. These divides were highlighted yesterday, as Noah mentioned, in Buffalo, New York, where a young white man, deeply influenced by white supremacist ideologies, went to a grocery store to target and kill African Americans, which resulted in 10 people's lives being wrongfully taken yesterday. In the midst of ongoing political divisions at home and abroad, I believe that God has a message for us today in Daniel 11. This prophetic message delivered to Daniel by an angel has something to teach us today during our uncertain times. And there are three things our text will reveal to us this morning. Again, there are three things that our text will reveal to us this morning through the prophecy of Daniel. First, we see that by God's sovereignty, nations fall and rise. 
The first thing we see in our text is that by God's sovereignty, nations fall and rise. Let's look at our text this morning, beginning in Daniel chapter 11, verse 2. Starting in Daniel 11, verse 2, our text reads, And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a four shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity or his offspring, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. In verse 2 of our text, we see that after three more Persian kings, there's going to be a fourth king that arises that has more influence than the other Persian kings. According to biblical commentators, this fourth Persian king is Xerxes in our passage. Xerxes was a powerful and wealthy king who fought against the expansion of Greece. Despite his efforts to bring others against Greece, there is a leader that emerges in verse 3 of our passage who is referred to as a mighty king who will be great and who will exercise dominion. This king is believed to be Alexander the Great because Alexander was the king of the Greek Empire who overthrew the Persian Empire through his military dominance. Biblical commentators also believe Alexander the Great is the king referred to in our passage due to verse 4, which reads, As soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity. Alexander the Great was the most powerful ruler of the Greek empire. But after he died... His kingdom was divided into four separate kingdoms. Now, after verse four of our text, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 11 starts to focus on two kingdoms that form out of the division of the Greek empire. Now, the Greek empire is divided into four kingdoms, but our passage focuses on these two kingdoms because they surround the land of the Israelites or the Jews, God's chosen people. This is important because the angel prophesying to Daniel tells him in chapter 10 that this prophecy is going to be about what happens to God's people. Thus, the information about these powerful kingdoms surrounding the land of God's chosen people, the Jews, is relevant. The kingdom to the north of of God's people is the Syrian kingdom, and the kingdom to the south is the Egyptian kingdom in our passage. Let's look Back at our passage, starting in verse four, 5. Starting in Daniel 11, verse 5, our text reads, Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm. He and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up and her attendants 
he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. For some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His son shall wage war and assemble a great multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hands. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but shall not prevail. Now these verses in our text this morning mark the dominance of the Egyptian kingdom, which is the kingdom of the south. In verse 4, we see the king of the south will become strong and have a son who will become even more powerful. Then in verse 6, we see that an Egyptian king is going to give his daughter in marriage to a northern king to exercise even greater power over the northern kingdom of Syria. Biblical commentators highlight that this daughter is, is the Egyptian princess Bernice, who married Antichus, a Syrian king in order to cement an alliance between these two kingdoms. And Bernice's child was set to become the king of the northern kingdom, but there was a problem. Antichus already had a wife, and somehow she found a way to kill Antichus, Bernice, and their child, and she took over the northern kingdom as queen. Thus, Bernice and Antichus did not stay in power, which is why verse 6 says, she shall not retain the strength of her arm. He and his arm shall not endure, but shall be given up. In spite of Bernice's death, in verse 7, there is a branch from her root that rises to power in the southern kingdom. This is Bernice's brother, Ptolemy III. He arises against the northern kingdom of Syria, and he prevails against them. In verse 7, we see that the Egyptian kingdom carries off the gods from the Syrian kingdom along with precious gold and silver vessels from Syria. Then since the Syrians lose in battle, they attempt to go down to the southern Egyptian kingdom to wage war against them. Yet in verse 11, we see that the Egyptian kingdom starts a counterattack to defeat the northern Syrian kingdom. This victory leads the southern kingdom of Egypt to have great pride, but at the end of verse 12, we see his kingdom will not prevail. Let's look back at our text in verse 13 to see the power shift that happens beginning in Daniel chapter 11, verse 13. In our text, this, this, this verse reads beginning in, in, chapter, in verse 13. For the king of the north shall again rise, raise a, great, uh, raise a multitude greater than the first. And after some years, he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times, many shall rise against the king of the south. And the violent among your own shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. 
Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. In verse 13, we see that the northern kingdom of Syria will rise again to attack the southern kingdom of Egypt. But this time they are more powerful than before. In verse 15, we see that the northern kingdom of Syria defeats the southern kingdom of Egypt. We see that the Egyptian kingdom eventually lacks the power to stand against the northern kingdom And in verse 16, we see that the northern kingdom will have power over the land of the Israelites, which is referred to as the glorious land in our passage. Thus, the northern kingdom of Syria will have dominion over God's people, the Jews. Now, the first 16 verses of our passage cover a span of hundreds of years. The first 16 verses of our passage could easily be a 10-season series on Netflix. You could do a few seasons on the empire, the Persian Empire and King Xerxes. Then you could do a couple seasons on the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. Then you could do a few seasons on the Greek Empire being divided to four separate kingdoms. Then you could do a few seasons on the battles between the northern kingdom of Syria and the southern kingdom of Egypt. I mean, you could do a whole multi-season Netflix series on the first 16 verses of our passage. Because there's so much that happens in these verses. But one thing that is consistent is that kingdoms rise and fall. The Persian Empire arose, and then they were overtaken by the Greek Empire. The Greek Empire arose under Alexander the Great. Then his children were murdered, and the Greek Empire was divided into four kingdoms. Then the Egyptian Egyptian kingdom rose in power, and then they fell to the power of the northern kingdom of Syria. And then after that, our text even alludes to the rise of the Roman Empire, will eventually overtake the northern kingdom of Syria. So this prophecy given to Daniel points to the truth that no earthly kingdom will always be dominant and remain in power. And this is something that we have to realize too as God's people. No nation will this side of the new heaven and the new earth remain permanently dominant. Nations will continue to rise and fall in power And this can be scary for us to hear as Americans, right? Because the U.S. is arguably one of the most dominant nations in the world right now. But we are moving into a time where nations are gaining power. China is becoming more powerful. Russia is seeking to grow in dominance through this unjust war in Ukraine. There was this belief that through globalization, the world would come together and we all sing Kumbaya and be peaceful forever and all adopt democratic values in order to develop economically and politically. But that has not and will not happen. We will not have a utopia before the return of Jesus Christ. In a recent article this year, David Brooks, a columnist for the New York Times writes, economic rivalries have now merged with political, moral, and other rivalries into one global contest for dominance. 
Globalization has been replaced by something that looks a lot like global culture war. This quote highlights the reality that our nations are competing for dominance in our time, just as they were people and nations competing for dominance in Daniel chapter 11. This quotation points to the fact that nations are still warring against one another, just as they were warring against one another in our passage. Nations will continue to rise and fall as prophesied in Daniel chapter 11, yet this reality does not have to cause us to fear because God is sovereign over all nations. This is why the angel can prophesy to Daniel about what is going to happen with the nations because God already knows the beginning from the end and he is sovereign over it all. He is sovereign over the United States of America. He is sovereign over Russia and China. He is sovereign over Brazil and Nigeria. He is sovereign over India, Japan, Ethiopia, and, and Afghanistan. God knows which nations are going to rise and fall and in the midst of these changes, he is still over it all. So we don't have to be afraid of our country diminishing in influence and power because we serve a God with all power. And no matter what happens, he is still sovereign. Amen? Amen. Now, as we move back to our passage, we don't only see that by God's sovereignty, nations rise and fall. We also see that God keeps his people and allows them to persevere in the face of persecution. In our text, we see that God keeps his people and allows them to persevere in the face of persecution. Let's look back at our passage this afternoon, beginning in verse 29. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 29, our text reads, At the appointed time, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged, and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away regular burnt offerings, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action, and the wise among them shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder, when they stumble they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the end of the until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. Now, in verse 29 of our text, there's a new king over the northern kingdom of Syria. This king, Antichus Epiphanes, severely persecuted God's chosen people, the Jews. In a commentary on Daniel Miller, on, on Daniel, Stephen Miller a biblical scholar writes, Antichus Epiphanes severely persecuted the Jews, massacring thousands, and represented one of the greatest threats to Yahweh worship in all of Israel's history. This quotation highlights the reality that this Syrian king was opposed to God's chosen people, the Jews. 
and persecuted them harshly. And we see this in our text. In verse 29 and 30, we see that this king tries to exercise power over the southern kingdom of Egypt. Again, but he is turned away from Egypt by the Roman Empire that is growing in power. So he is enraged, and Antiochus Epiphanes starts focusing on persecuting the Jewish people. In verse 31, we see that he desecrates the temple of the Jewish people that was rebuilt in Jerusalem. He uses his power to stop the religious practices of offering sacrifices. In verse 32, we see that there are some Jewish people who are who fall away from their faith and follow after this corrupt king. Yet in the second half of verse 32, we see that those who are truly in relationship with their God will oppose King Antiochus Epiphanes. Despite the persecution they face, our text says they stand firm and take action. In verse 33 through 35, we see that some of these Jewish believers that hold on to their faith will lose their lives, which is highlighted through the repetition of the concept of some of them stumbling. Yet despite the fact that they will stumble and pass away due to persecution, they shall persevere through their wisdom and lead people to understanding. In addition, the persecution they face will be used by God to purify and refine them. Now, Daniel is shown shown through this prophecy that God's people will face persecution in the future, yet despite this reality, there will be Jewish believers that persevere through persecution. And even though we live in a different time period, this prophecy points us to the truth that God's people will continue to face persecution even in this era. I was reminded of this truth by a sister at my seminary in the northern suburbs of Chicago. During a message this year, she talked about how she and her family faced persecution in Nigeria for their Christian faith from various extremist groups in her hometown. She talked about having to hide in a church with other Christians in her hometown in order to preserve and save her life. But despite the persecution she faced, she continues to persevere in her faith. Now, I heard of another story of a, of a Christian facing persecution a few years ago. I went to a Christian conference in St. Louis, Missouri. And during this conference, a woman from Iran spoke about how God had called her to plant seven churches in Iran. And she planted these seven churches through God. But despite her success spreading the gospel, she faced persecution for her faith and ministry. She was jailed for spreading the Christian faith. But despite the persecution she faced, she persevered in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our our text this morning points us to the reality that God's people are going to face persecution for for their faith from various political leaders. But despite this persecution, God's people are going to persevere by God's power. This truth may be hard for us to see in our context because on on many levels, we have religious freedom in our country. And some sectors of Christianity in this country, such as white evangelicals, have some political power and influence. Yet this prophecy in our text this morning 
points us to the truth that God's people will face persecution for their faith. And we have brothers and sisters across this world facing persecution for their Christian faith. But despite this persecution, they are persevering in their faith and God is purifying their faith through this unjust persecution. In light of this reality, we don't have to fear persecution. Instead, we should focus on remaining faithful like the Jewish people in our passage this morning. And we have to be careful because we could be like some of the Jewish people in our text that turned away from their faith to align with the corrupt king Antichrist Epiphanes. We have to be careful that we don't turn from our faith in order to align with political leaders that are opposed to Jesus Christ and our Christian faith. We have to have wisdom and discernment because in the U.S., various politicians use the Christian faith to gain influence, but many of them do and promote things that are not aligned with Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Thus, we have to have discernment so we are not led away from our faith through a desire for political power. This is what we see in the prophecy in our passage. Although some Jewish people fall away from the faith for political power, there's a group that holds on to what they believe and they persevere in their faith despite opposition from a powerful king. And this is what God calls us to do. He calls us to hold to our faith even if we face marginalization. He calls us to reject aligning with corrupt political leaders even if that means we don't have as much influence. Because God is going to keep his people despite persecution. God doesn't need our help to to preserve his people. He doesn't need us to align with corrupt leaders to preserve his church. God doesn't need your preferred candidate, Democrat, or Republican to preserve his church. God doesn't need the U.S. Supreme Court to have a certain balance to preserve his church. God is going to keep his people despite persecution and marginalization. That's all we need to do is focused on holding to our Christian faith and living it out through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Y'all with me still? (laughs) I'm from a black church, y'all. I need y'all to talk back. (laughs) Now, as we move back to our text, we see that God is not only sovereign over nations and that he keeps his people through persecution. We see that God conquers all kings opposed to his rule and reign on earth. Again, we see that God conquers all kings opposed to his rule and reign on earth. Let's look back at our text beginning in verse 36 of our passage. Starting in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, our text reads, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself, and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A God whom his father did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. In verse 36 of our text, there is a new king that emerges 
who is different from the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes. Many commentators and church fathers have believed this king to be the Antichrist, the leader that will emerge before the return of Jesus Christ. In verse 36, we see that this king will rule over other kings. In addition, this king will magnify himself above all gods and oppose the one true God. In verse 37, we see again that the Antichrist will reject all gods and lift himself up as God over all. In verse 38, our text says that the Antichrist will honor the God of fortresses, which means he will honor military power and might above all else, which he will use to exercise dominion over the earth. And in verse 39, we see that the Antichrist will give honor and power to those that support him and submit to his rule and reign. Now in verses 40 to 44, we see that this Antichrist is going to wage war and invade the land of the Jewish people, which is referred to as the glorious land in verse 41 of our text. Yet despite his rule and reign, at the end of our text, we see that there is an expiration date on his kingdom. Let's look at the last verse of our text this evening. Starting in Daniel 11, verses 45, our text reads, And he will pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Despite the power of the Antichrist, our text points us to the truth that his reign will come to an end. And when that time comes for his rule and reign to end, no one will be able to stop it. Because the end date set for his rule is from the one true God. Thus we see that in this passage that God is going to conquer all kings and authorities opposed to his rule and reign. Now go with me here for a second. One thing I love about the United States is that we have term limits for presidents. When there's a president elected that I don't want in office, I find solace in the fact that at worst case scenario, they can only be in office for eight years maximum. This reality comforts me because it points to the fact that a leader has a limited period of time. They are allowed to exert power and influence as the top government official in the executive branch of our government. In light of this reality, I find a level of comfort due to the existence of term limits. Now, due to our text in Daniel 11, we should feel a deeper level of peace and comfort because in a higher and holier way, our text shows us that there are term limits for wicked and powerful kings that oppose the one true God. And these term limits are not set by the U.S. federal government. They're set by someone far more powerful. They're set by God himself. God is going to conquer all kings opposed to his kingdom. One day, Jesus is going to return to establish his kingdom on earth, and all corrupt kings and political leaders are going to have to bow their knees and confess Jesus as Lord. And the kingdom of Jesus is going to be more powerful than the United States, China, and Russia combined. Jesus' kingdom is going to be far more powerful than the Taliban, the Mongolian Empire, and the Mali Empire formerly in Western Africa. God's kingdom is going to be far greater than any of the kingdoms in Daniel 11, and there's going to be no end to Jesus' kingdom once he returns to the earth. 
See, the same Jesus that died on the cross for our sins and resurrected from the grave is going to return to establish an eternal kingdom greater than any earthly kingdom. And in light of this truth, every other leader has a term limit. Putin has a term limit. Kim Jong-un has a term limit. Joe Biden, the U.S. Supreme Court and Congress have a term limit. And the Antichrist has a term limit. Because Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is going to crack the sky and come back to permanently establish a kingdom or earth for his people. See, Jesus, the one who conquered sin, death, and the grave, is going to conquer all political leaders opposed to his rule and reign. We see this in the New Testament in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 8, which reads, The lawless one or the Antichrist will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. See, Jesus is going to conquer all evil and corrupt political power when he returns. In light of this reality, we don't have to worry about the rise and fall of the nations. In light of this truth, we don't have to worry about the persecution or marginalization we may face as Christians because Jesus Christ is going to return and conquer all political authorities opposed to his rule and reign. Our passage in Daniel 11 points us to the reality that Jesus is going to conquer the Antichrist and all political powers opposed to his eternal reign. In light of this truth, we can have hope in the midst of conflict between nations and corrupt leaders that abuse their power. Because one day, Jesus is going to return and make everything all right. Amen? Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, for your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you that you are Lord of all, God, that you are King of kings, God, and that your rule and reign has no end, God. I pray that you would draw us closer to you in this season, Lord. I pray that you would bless each and every person here today, God, and, and draw them closer to you, Lord, and strengthen them in this season, Father. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.